Welcome back to Podcast 40 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by BetRivers.com for a 100% sign-up bonus up to 250 bucks. Please visit BetRivers and use the promo code ODDS22. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to help us out with our costs, sponsor the website and podcast. We'd love to help you out. Please visit theosbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any of our winning packages to get our premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit theosbreakers.com. Become a free picks newsletter subscriber. How's the summer treating everyone? Well, it's funny. Today is actually the first day of summer. Being that I'm recording this on Tuesday, longest day of the year, and I hope that everybody is enjoying their spring slash summer here before the madness starts with football season. But we love the madness because that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, that's what I'm going to talk about today because I'm going solo. I'm going to get into the AFC North and the AFC South. 2022 season preview and talk a little bit about UFC on ESPN 38 for the weekend. Last weekend's UFC wasn't as good, went two for four and baseball kind of saved us at, I I believe I went four and one on Saturday in baseball and two and oh in hockey. Hockey's still rolling and the NBA is now Officially over, Steph Curry getting his fourth ring, right? That's pretty impressive. He's certainly moving up in the totem pole in some people's all-time power ratings of NBA players, which gets talked about way too freaking much, (laughs) in my opinion. But this show is going to be focused on what I do best, and that is the NFL as well as UFC. And if you are a handicapper that wants to contribute and monetize with the odds breakers, feel free to contact us on the website or on Twitter at theoddsbreakers.com. All right, my friends, nice and easy here. Going to move into the AFC North season preview and win totals. Now, the AFC North somehow... Got two teams into the playoffs last year after this division faced a ton of adversity. I mean, the Steelers had the aging Big Ben Roethlisberger quarterback and a very bad offensive line. The Ravens pretty much injured everyone trying to win huge preseason games. And the Browns, well, they kind of turned back into the Browns, didn't they? And had some very bad coaching decisions, played with a banged-up Baker Mayfield, while the Bengals benefited through from all this chaos and turmoil and made the playoffs and all the way to the Super Bowl, as you remember, last year. And hedging that Bengals 20-1 to Super Bowl bet was plenty fun for me. 
made the Super Bowl a lot easier to watch coming into that Sunday, as well as all the prop plays that we made as well, cashing on most of those. One thing that I want to say about this division is that there's no coaching changes, which I find interesting. So they're kind of coming into this season without having to deal with that change. And it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top. I think I know who's going to come up on top, but we'll see if you guys will agree with that. And unfortunately, I kind of think that I'm on the same side as everybody else. (laughs) But anyways, the AFC North plays the AFC East and the NFC South, which I would call kind of medium, right? I mean, the AFC East got the Buffalo and the Patriots and a better Miami team. And the NFC South is pretty much the worst division in football coming into the season. I think it could be the NFC North when it's all said and done. But the NFC South still has the Jaguars and the Houston Texans there at the bottom of the barrel. And let's also not forget, now that we're moving into the AFC to talk about, they get the extra at-large away game versus the NFC. Last year, the NFC had to go to the AFC, so they had eight home games and nine away games in general. Now the AFC has eight home games and nine away games in general. So keep that in mind when you're betting your season win totals. Extra away game for the AFC, extra home game for the NFC. All right, let's get into the AFC North top to bottom. And I got to be honest with you guys, I tried to not have this team up top. I did my best and I just kept coming back to them. And I'm afraid that they're going to be the most public play in the NFL. And that's the Baltimore Ravens winning the AFC North, or at least being the best in this division. There is just way too much going for this team coming into 2022. Now, their Vegas win total is 9.5, juice to the over at minus 150. So the 2021 wins were were eight wins. And believe it or not, eight wins was enough to get them to the bottom of their division last year and getting the fourth place schedule. So just starting out with that fourth place schedule. Their Pythagorean wins was 8.94, even with some of the time that Lamar missed, even with all the time that their running backs missed from getting injured in preseason, and as well as all the other guys that John Harbaugh beat up before the season actually started. If you know John Harbaugh, he loves to win his preseason games, which is absolutely stupid, but what can I do? I can just uh, try to analyze this team, how they're coming in. Their schedule, medium easy. They're at-large games at New York Giants, at Jacksonville, versus Denver at home. That turned out pretty nice for them. Their last year's schedule was actually medium. Uh, Their key losses, safety to Sean Elliott, cornerback Anthony Everett, Bradley Bozeman, their center, wide receiver Sammy Watkins, which (laughs) I guess that's a key loss, probably not, Uh, and then 
two unsigned guys, defensive tackle Brandon Williams, defensive end Justin Houston. Oh, and another unsigned guy, inside linebacker LJ Fort. Key additions from free agency, free safety Marcus Williams, right tackle Morgan Moses, cornerback Kyle Fuller, and running back Mike Davis. Key draft picks, safety Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame there, center Tyler Linderbaum, edge rusher David Ojabo, tight end Charlie Kolar, cornerback Jalen Armour Davis, tight end Isaiah Likely, and a bunch of dudes. All right, so this team, like I said, started off in shambles due to John Harbaugh and his stubborn ways, but maybe he learns this year, and maybe they're going to come in a lot more healthier than they were last year. I mean, God, I can't imagine uh, them being in a worse situation. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword, if you ask me. I think there's something to be said about, you know, getting your players ready for hits and tackles. A lot of times the first week, there's a lot of missed tackling. But it also, the double-edged sword injures your guys, and the Ravens got the worst of it last year. They've done this for years. Don't get me wrong. The Ravens have tried to win preseason games for years. They just happen to have J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards injured for the whole season because of their preseason. And shortly after, they lost guys like uh, um, Justice Hill, Devontae Freeman, and a few others. I got to give them back some love for all these injuries, right? You also have to look at the schedule being very easy. I think it's kind of interesting that they play the whole AFC East their first four games of the season. Just boom, 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 boom. Nothing in between all AFC East games. The good news is that they have that very easy schedule and how they are just kind of coming into this year motivated you see the cameras on Lamar Jackson already excited for OTAs a lot of guys aren't right he comes in there all excited lots of things are lots of good things are happening and uh the market likes him too being that their season win total is a highly juiced 9.5 to the over now I have my reservations about this team too okay and this is why I really try to talk myself off them I don't trust Lamar Jackson completely. And I think that the book is out on beating Lamar. The Titans did it. The Dolphins did it last year when they played, right? The the they, the Dolphins literally beat this team. I'm not even sure if they had Tua, but the Dolphins were coming off, I believe, one and seven, something like that. And they ended up beating the Ravens at home because the Dolphins realized to contain blitz Lamar don't let him out and take away the middle of the field the Titans have showed us this multiple times when they've played the Ravens so that's why I wanted to be off this team but they're just getting so many guys back from injury right there's just so much opportunity in this division with all the questions with the Cleveland Browns with the Steelers I have 11.47 wins I think they can get up to 11.47 wins based upon their strength. John Harbaugh is just a great coach in general. And I think they're going to win the division, and I played that at plus 200. So that I already have a play, Baltimore, to win the division. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't love the fact that this is probably the most public play 
their season win total over and them to win the division in all of NFL football. And you remember what happened with the Vikings last year when they're the most public play to go over eight and a half to nine to nine and a half wins, how that moved up so fast and everybody losing on that ticket last year. So I'm not happy that I'm on that side. So I'm going to go smaller for a half a unit, but I think they do win the division just based upon their schedule, based upon how strong they are and based upon how many guys they're com- they're uh, getting back this year. So there you have it. My power ratings are 4.5 points better than the average team starting for the season for the Baltimore Ravens. The dynasty has just begun. Second team in this division is the Cincinnati Bengals. Vegas win total 10 juice to the under minus 120. So if you look at a nine and a half juice to minus 150 and a 10 juice to under minus 120, that tells you that the Ravens are looked at as the better team from the market standpoint, because each half a game is worth about 50 cents, give or take a few cents, right? So right now on 10 under minus 120, 9.5 for the Ravens over minus 150 shows you that the Ravens actually have the higher number based upon the juice. Their 2021 wins were 10 wins. Now, was it really 10? Do you remember that they benched everybody against the Cleveland Browns last year, their their final game? They ended up covering the spread, but they still could have had 11 wins there last year. Their Pythagorean wins kind of tells you that a little bit. 10.45 was their Pythag. Their schedule, medium hard this year. Their at-large games are at Dallas, at Tennessee, and versus Kansas City. That's tough. You know, it's almost like, I would almost say this is a hard schedule, just not knowing much about Pittsburgh and Cleveland, right? And it's nice that they get the NFC South with Atlanta and Carolina on the bottom of that division. And if I said the AFC South before Houston, Jacksonville, I apologize. I meant to say NFC South. But either way, the Bengals had an easy schedule last year. So they had a nice little road to the playoffs, in my opinion. Their key losses this year, tight end C.J. Uzoma, cornerback Darius Phillips, cornerback Trey Wayans, defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi. As a matter of fact, Wayans and Ogunjobi's not signed yet. Okay, Key additions. Guard Alex Kappa, right tackle Lyle Collins, center Ted Karras, and tight end Hayden Hurst. Wow. Did this team just go out and pay for an offensive line? Key draft picks, safety Daxton Hill, who also can play corner. Cornerback Cam Taylor-Britt. Defensive line, Zachary Carter, and some dudes. Summary, looking at Last year, in my preseason thoughts, I want to kick myself because if you listen to this show last year, going over the AFC North, I said lean under 5.5 wins for the Bengals. I'm glad I didn't bet, but I said lean under. What the hell was I thinking? Idiot. (laughs) 
Joe Burrow proved me wrong. Well, his offensive line really didn't do much, and that was my biggest concern. But Jamar Chase really proved me wrong. I mean, Burrow took his share of sacks. He, he took a ton of sacks last year. But he also made massive plays, right? Massive plays. And some of those big plays got him to the Super Bowl. Um, keep in mind, they should have had 11 wins last year. One thing I'm going to say that turned out well was there was a lot of injuries in this division last year, if you remember. Lots of injuries to the Steelers' skill positions. Obviously, what happened to the Baltimore Ravens. And look at the Cleveland Browns. They had plenty of injuries. Odell Beckham left the team. Landry was hurt. And Baker Mayfield playing through a torn labrum. Okay, so it kind of worked out very well based upon an easy schedule. Now, obviously, they get to the playoffs. They take care of business, beat the Raiders at home. They went to Tennessee and probably should have lost that game statistically, but they did what they had to do at the end, clutch performances. Um, They made it to the Super Bowl. And to be honest with you, they were really in that Super Bowl for a long time until some very questionable calls for the refs. Now, they got one on their side, if you remember, with the T. Higgins touchdown, but still. Now, due to this schedule, I'm not going to touch over 10 wins. <laughs> There's no way. The schedule is way harder. And even though their Pythag was 10.45, this could be one of those Super Bowl hangover type years, even though they didn't win it. I will say that I really am happy for what they did with their offensive line. They didn't sit there and take draft picks for them. Lots of offensive linemen don't turn out, right? Even some of the top drafted ones don't. You find out there's an injury, right? Look what happened to the Bears with uh, Jenkins last year. I mean, this happens. There's, there's, there's a hidden injury or they just weren't as good as you thought and just kind of got lucky to block some very bad players. They bought their offensive line, which was the right move. They're ready to win now, but they also lost a few guys too. And so not completely super high on them, but I do expect them to be in contention for this division at some point. I just don't think that they're going to run away with it. And um, I actually do think that Baltimore should win it just based upon their schedule. My number is 9.23 wins for the Cincinnati Bengals, so I'm going to lean under, but it's already juiced a little bit. And my Cincinnati Bengals power rating is 3.75 points better than the average team. Number three, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, believe it or not. Not the Cleveland Browns, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Vegas win total 7.5 juiced in the under minus 130. 2021 wins 9.5. It's 0.5 because of the tie game. All right. You gotta you gotta change it to 0.5. But their Pythagorean wins 6.91. Massive difference, and they very much overachieved last year. And their schedule was medium hard last year. But their schedule this year is hard. They're at large games based upon a second place schedule here, making the playoffs at Philadelphia, at Indianapolis, and home against Las Vegas. And if you remember, Las Vegas beat them last year. 
Key losses, quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. Wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, guard Trey Turner, cornerback Joe Hayden, who isn't signed yet. Inside linebacker Joe Schobert and center B.J. Finney. All right. Eric Ebron, I guess you can throw in there, but he didn't seem to do a lot last year. Key additions, quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Can you believe it? Inside linebacker Miles Jack, center Mason Cole, cornerback Levi Wallace, and key draft picks, quarterback Kenny Pickett, who will be competing with Mitch probably all the way through preseason. Wide receiver George Pickens, edge rusher DeMarvin Leal, and some dudes, I wrote. Summary, I mean, Mike Tomlin just can't seem to get out of the playoffs here, and he makes it every year. And the people that said, you know what, I'm going to bet Pittsburgh just based upon the fact that they always make the playoffs, kicked ass because of it last year, right? Um, so many people got burned on this under. This was probably one of the biggest bet season win totals under was the Pittsburgh Steelers that did not cash last year. What I will say is this team was fortunate to get the Ravens and the Browns banged up, just kind of like Cincinnati did, and their Pythagorean win total shows that. Massive 2.5 game difference. Now, my biggest issue with the Steelers is they just didn't do enough to fix that bad offensive line. I mean, believe it or not, I can't downgrade them that much going from an elderly, overweight, and a mobile big Ben Roethlisberger down to a very talented yet no confidence Mitch Trubisky. It's not a huge downgrade here. And you know what? Mitch is probably playing for house money. And remember what I said when he left the Bears? I said, you really don't know how bad he is or how good he is because Bears coaching was so bad. Well, he sure looked pretty dang good in preseason on the uh, on the Buffalo Bills last year. And if Tomlin is smart, he uses Mitch properly. Check down once, take off with your legs. When Mitch made the playoffs, he had 500 yards rushing. You know, that's the way to do it. Of course, he's got to get down and slide. But Mitch is just not good when he's rattled. And he has some very incomplete, very erratic passes when he checks down. His first read is usually pretty good. If the guy's open, he can nail him. The optimistic side is right there with Mitch, but the pessimistic side is, let's face it, he wasn't that good of a quarterback. He was not a franchise quarterback, you know, at least from where he was drafted, second pick of the draft, right? So I'm actually medium on him, okay? He actually might be better than people think. So we'll see. But if not Mitch, you got Kenny Pickett, who was a winner last year. Small hands and all. But, I mean, he's there. He was one of the projected quarterbacks of this draft. Now, was he a top 10 pick? No. But, hey, he was the first quarterback selected here. And I think he's got a, he's really got a shot to beat out Mitch. If, obviously, everything I said about Mitch was true and he can't hit the broadside of a barn when he's throwing a football. We'll see. You know, funny thing about Mitch, really weird stat. He's never thrown a pick six in his life. 
I had no idea. It's just, it's just a weird stat, but at least his misses are so bad that the defense also misses it as well. <sighs> Anyways, I think that the Steelers are not in as bad of a situation as some people think. And the market's just kind of holding at seven and a half after they lost Big Ben. Kind of tells you that the market's kind of on that side too. I think that there's they're going to win between seven and ten games. Um, my number's actually lower. It's 7.21, but I can see the upside there. I'm not going to play under seven and a half when my number is 7.21, but their power rating is pretty average. It's minus 0.25 points. It's just slightly under an average team. So that's where I'm going to keep them until I see differently. No play on the total. Next team, the Cleveland Browns. And they actually pulled, Vegas pulled the numbers when I did this on the Browns because we just have no idea who's going to be their quarterback. Deshaun Watson, more girls showing up, accusing him. Heard a crazy number, like there's been 60 occurrences of this. I mean, maybe some of the women were willing. Doesn't sound like they all were, definitely. I don't know how to give advice on what happened before because that's not my specialty. I'm not, this is a football show. This is a sports betting podcast. I can give you my opinion on lines and things like that. But right now it's just not looking good for him. And even if he gets past all these extra accusers, he's probably going to get a big suspension from the NFL. Okay. So you're sitting here with a, a massive contract that you paid a guy that had more accusers coming out, even after you said you do, did your due diligence. What a pile of crap that was, right? Due diligence, my ass. There was plenty of more stuff out there. But I find the weird thing about this whole situation is if you're going to have 20-some accusers, it should be pretty obvious that there's probably some more out there. And also, I find it weird that somehow he got past the 22-23 that he dealt with, yet he's facing the same issue again. I mean, when does it stop? What if like the NFL clears him and then three people come out the following year? And then the NFL finally suspends him and clears him that. Then three more people come out. I mean, at what point are you going to, we're going to clear you of all the weird shit you did in your past, illegal shit with women, or we're not, right? It's like, it's it's better off for him just to get it all out there, you know? And so it's almost strategic that these women are coming out at different times to get bigger paydays. Keep stopping him from moving forward in the NFL. I mean, at some point, if he's done for good, they're not, they're not going to get anything. <laughs> but I just find this just to be a, a very weird situation. It's a legal situation. And because of that, I have no idea what to say or what to think, except for the fact that you cannot trust him to play next year. So... Their 2021 wins were eight. Their Pythagorean wins was 8.05. Their schedule last year was medium easy. Their schedule this year is actually medium easy because they have a third-place schedule to get to play at Atlanta against the Chargers at home, which is a little tricky, and at Washington, which eh, probably still a little tricky. 
But their key losses, I had to put Baker Rate Mayfield in red here because he's still with the team, yet he's probably gone, right? I mean, after what they did to Baker and signed to Sean Watson, I, I, how do you clean that up? But at the same time, maybe Baker does forgive it and say, look, I'm just going to play for this team and try to win. I, I have no idea. But Case Keenum, the backup's gone. Tight end Austin Hooper. Wide receiver Jarvis Landry. Wide receiver Rashard Higgins. Defensive end Ifede Ogun... O- <laughs> I'm going to destroy this word. Odenigbo. Cornerback MJ Stewart. Center JC Treader. Defensive end Takarist McKinley. And defensive tackle Malik Jackson. There's a lot of dudes there they lost. And let's not forget, they also lost... Odell Beckham before the season ended. Key additions, quarterback Deshaun Watson, right? Massive red flag, might not play the whole year. Wide receiver Amari Cooper, wide receiver Jakeem Grant. Quarterback Jacoby Brissett. Defensive tackle Taven Bryan. Defensive end Stefan Weatherly. And a bunch of low-class bums. (laughs) They're key draft picks. They didn't have many. Wide receiver David Bell, which wasn't a terrible pick in the third or fourth round. And a bunch of really no, a bunch of people that might not make the team. So, you know what's really funny? I just looked. I looked up Baker Mayfield, Baker Reagan Mayfield on Wikipedia, and they say he's the quarterback for the Shanghai Sharks <laughs> of the National Football League. I think someone's messing with us here. But check it out. Go to Wiki and uh, look up Baker Mayfield. See if that's changed. Um, he's still a Brown. He has probably a a 10% chance of playing for this team. Now, here's the weird thing. The dude has cost himself over $100 million. He could have signed with this team for $30 million a year, and he still held out. He still did and completely ruined his chances because now they don't even look at him as a franchise quarterback. And I got to tell you, it doesn't look like the league is really jumping at him. You know, I say just go to San Francisco and trade him straight up for Jimmy Garoppolo. You, you, you end some bad blood there, you end some bad blood here. But the problem with the Niners is why would they do that? Because he might want to be signed. He might want a bunch of money. There's no guarantee with how that's going to work out. right? So they have to get past the, whole, the agents with all that. Now, I have to assume that Jacoby Brissett is starting quarterback. right? I have to assume that. And that's how I have to power rate this team. So at this point, too many questions, but I do not like their draft. I do not like all the guys that they lost, but they still retained a ton of talent because if you remember, they were the most talented team coming into the season last year next to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were just up up and down, offense and defense. They did. Now, because of everything they lost, my win total with Jacoby Brissett is 6.03 wins. That's it. 6.03 wins. He's a big step down. I think he's a step down from Case Keenum. I don't think he's a pro quarterback. That's pretty low, I know. But let's let's face it. The Browns lost a lot of guys. No real star wide receivers, except I guess Amari Cooper, but I'm not that big of a Amari Cooper guy. You know, lots of distraction coming in this year. If it was Baker Mayfield playing, 
I guess seven and a half to eight wins, maybe. If it was Deshaun Watson playing, eight to nine, maybe. And then we're after just the other teams, right? But still, you can't trust this team right now. My power rating on the Browns here with Brissett is minus two. Two points worse than the average team. Because they still have all that talent. But geez, I wouldn't doubt it if this thing slides down lower come the beginning of the season. So not doing anything with this team right now. I don't think we're going to know much about them until well into preseason, maybe right before the year even starts. And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the AFC South. 2022 preview of season. All right. The AFC South was the bottom feeders of football last year. 2021 was bad thanks mainly to Jacksonville. (laughs) Just had an absolute headache for a coach. The Houston Texans, who had a coach that really didn't understand some of the rules of the game, some of the strategies. It also didn't help that the Colts were very injured on defense when they started the season out. And also some of their pass catchers were very injured. The Titans were able to capitalize on all this turmoil and uh, secured home field advantage throughout the whole playoffs. Now, unfortunately, it didn't work out too well for the Titans, seeing what the Bengals did in their house. But uh, let's see how this uh, division pans out for 2022. The NFC South plays the AFC West, which is hard. And they play the NFC East, which I would say is medium, right? Um, That's a pretty hard schedule in general. Um, I'm going to start out with the number one team that I have power rated in the division. And that is the Indianapolis Colts. Now, the Vegas win total is 9.5, juice to the over, minus 140. Their 2021 wins were 9. Pythagorean wins were 9.92. Their schedule last year was medium easy, and their schedule this year is actually considered easy. I don't know why it's considered easy, but I suppose it's because of how bad Jacksonville is, how bad Houston is. They get four games there, right? And then they get the Giants, the Washington football team, a couple teams out there make it very possible, the Raiders. But according to Sharp Football Analysis, the Indianapolis Colts have the third easiest schedule in football. So here's how it pans out. Their key losses, guard Mark Glowinski, quarterback Carson Wentz, safety George Odom, defensive end Al-Quadin Mohammed, guard Chris Reed, running back Marlon Mack. Who else? Zach Pascal, wide receiver. Left tackle Eric Fisher, wide receiver T.Y. Hilton. And cornerback Xavier Rhodes are all unsigned. Key additions, quarterback Matt Ryan. Cornerback Stefan Gilmore. 
quarterback Nick Foles is back with Frank Reich. Interesting, interesting. Cornerback Brandon Fasian and free safety Rodney McLeod, who they drafted. Wide receiver Alec Pierce, tight end Jelani Woods, tackle Bernard Raymond, uh, safety Nick Cross, and just a bunch of dudes. I must say that I thought my Colts over nine and a half wins last year was the closest thing to a lock when they had their two games left at home against the Raiders and at Jacksonville. But unfortunately, as we know, that proved to be wrong. Just an absolute collapse based upon this team. Now, (laughs) Frank Reich, I like Frank Reich. Okay. I, I think he's a good coach. At least he's a good coordinator. Okay. But, uh, this team started the season bad and some of the smarter sports bettors caught on to that and were on the Colts for a nice, good stretch of the season. And then the Colts just absolutely shit the bed at the very end. You know, there's probably a lot of people that actually took that big spread. I think the Colts were like 13, 14 point favorites, maybe longer against the Jacksonville Jaguars that last game to make the playoffs. I actually have to put some of the blame on Frank Reich. And uh, I also have to blame Carson Wentz, who's now gone because of it. You know, it's so funny, this team. I took them over that beginning of the season. Everyone's hating on it, saying it was a stupid play. I told you so. And then they changed their tune about week 12, week 13. They're saying, oh, Colts over, Colts over. <laughs> then they eventually didn't go over at all. Anyway, it was just funny listening to people's outlook on the Colts all of last year. But what I'm going to say is that it was a very bold move of them to trade Carson Wentz right away. And said, kind of kicked his ass out of there, right? Get the hell out of here. That's pretty much what they did. And uh, it it takes boldness to do that because you have to admit you're wrong as an organization. But at the same time, they got Matt Ryan. Uh, now, I, my, why not? I mean, he's a Super Bowl quarterback. Um, I guess about two years ago, you probably would have said Wentz was better, but now you'd probably say Ryan's better. I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that Matt Ryan, his success was partially because of how good Julio Jones was. I think his success was partially how good Kyle Shanahan was when he was the offensive coordinator and he went to the Super Bowl. That was all Kyle Shanahan. We know it. Been saying that for years. But I still have to upgrade them a little bit at the quarterback position. So the Colts' Pythagorean was 10 last year, roughly, right? 9.92. And the market being at Colts' 9.5 juice to the over, minus 140, says they're right on that number anyway. I'm also right on that number because my number is 9.96. So, I mean, I, I have no lean and no play on this, but... uh the Colts to win the division is minus 125. And I'm not going to lay juice for any team to win the division unless it's like an Alabama or something in college, right? It's just not smart in the NFL because these teams are a lot closer to each other and it's just one quarterback injury away from losing it. So no play for me, but I do have their power rating at 3.5 points better than the average team. So they're 
around my top nine, top ten teams, I would say. It's it's actually pretty close. But I just uh I'm not completely sold on them yet. I, I think that stink at the end still uh still haunts this team a little bit, but we'll see. They're coming in a little bit more healthy here. Their defense shed some talent, but we'll see what happens. Uh, coming into the season, I think I'm I think I'm about right at about three and a half points better than the average team. Let's move on to the next team, and that is the Tennessee Titans. Vegas win total nine, juice to the under minus one twenty. So the market's kind of with me on that one. Two thousand twenty one wins of twelve Pythagorean wins, only ten point thirty three, so one point six seven less than their actual wins. They're at large games on a medium hard schedule because they were first place last year at Buffalo at Green Bay versus Cincinnati. Last year schedule is medium easy. Key losses. Wide receiver AJ Brown shocked everybody on draft day, right? Biggest news of the draft, I would say, was that trade. Guard Roger Saffold. Guard David Quisenberry. Key losses also Rashawn Evans, the linebacker, tight end Anthony Fersker, wide receiver Julio Jones, cornerback Janoris Jenkins, and right tackle Kendall Lamb are also unsigned. Julio, they might grab him. They're probably just holding out to wait to pay him less. I don't see a ton of teams trying to grab Julio right now. But uh, we'll see what happens with some of these guys that aren't signed. Key additions. Tight end Austin Hooper, tackle Jamarco Jones, safety AJ Moore, key draft picks, wide receiver Traylon Burks. So they quickly replaced AJ Brown. Cornerback Roger McQuarrie, tight end Nicholas Pettit Frere, cornerback, or sorry, quarterback Malik Willis. That was interesting. Got him late. Running back Hassan Haskins from Michigan, tight end Chigazim Okwanku. I think he is from Maryland. Wide receiver Kyler Phillips. I have to say that that playoff loss to the Bengals sucked for this team. It's so weird. This team just beat massive teams last year. Remember the Rams, the Bucks? They're just all of a sudden they just beat all the good teams, and then they would lose to like freaking Houston. You know, it was just so weird. You knew that they kind of played out of their minds against the good teams coming in as a dog. But, you know, they're kind of like the Bengals itself because they had a very fortunate draw with the Colts being injured, how bad Jacksonville was, Houston just being putrid. But their Pythagorean shows you it was lower at 10.33. Looking at 2022, they trade their best player in A.J. Brown, probably their best player. I guess Henry's getting old, right? And they get a number one draft pick. And who do they go with? Another wide receiver in Traylon Burks. Ryan Tannehill hated this move. He hated it. And it's easy to see why, especially all emotional when it happens right on draft day unexpectedly. But to be completely honest, I think it was a good move. I think it was a good long-term move. A.J. Brown and his agent demanded to be the highest paid wide receiver. What's that, $25 million a year? And when you are a run first team like the Titans... You can't afford to blow your franchise on a guy who's going to be doubled hovered. Right? You can't afford that when you're a run first team. I like their pick in Traylon Burks from Arkansas. 
He's got NFL size, breakaway speed. He can take it to the house. Another good thing for Tennessee is they had bad fumble luck last year. Minus five in the random luck stack. So it, it's just very interesting. Um, winning 12 games, even being minus five in fumbles. Gotta give him some love for that. Now, this team did lose a decent amount in free agency that I already covered. But um, I'm going to remain lukewarm on them. You know, lots of people fading them because of how fortunate they were last year. But it seems like Vrabel's a pretty good coach. Um, I just think that uh, they're in an easy division. My number is 9.34. So I'm going to lean to the over. I think the Titans will be in contention. Their number's not good enough for me to bet. I think it's like plus 170 or something to win the division. And I do favor the Colts a little bit. But my Titans power rating is kind of just hanging out here at 1.75 points better than the average team. And last year, that's where they finished. You know, they did lose A.J. Brown. But they gained some guys. So I'm going to kind of remain that they're a better than average team. Just not one of the great teams. All right, let's move on to the next team. And believe it or not, it is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Unreal. Well, there's only two teams to go after this. And uh, the other one's the Texans. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. But the Jacksonville's win total aligns with my ideas. Six juice to the over, minus 120. Their 2021 wins was three. They had the first pick of the draft. Their Pythagorean wins was 4.2. Their schedule was medium easy. <laughs> Only win three games on a medium easy schedule. Sorry, their, their schedule last year was easy, actually. Not even medium easy. It was easy. Their schedule this year is medium easy. At large versus the New York Jets. Versus Baltimore. And at Detroit. That's not bad. Baltimore sucks, but at least you get the Jets in at Detroit. Detroit should be a little bit harder. Key losses. Coach Urban Meyer. Inside linebacker Miles Jack. Guard Andrew Norwell. Wide receiver DJ Chark. Guard AJ Can. Outside linebacker Damian Wilson. Defensive end Arden Key. Defensive tackle Taven Bryan. And then running back Carlos Hyde and cornerback Nevin Lawson are not signed. Key additions. Coach Doug Peterson, offensive coordinator, Press Taylor. I wanted to mention him because he kind of went with Doug and he was in the Frank Reich side of things as well, which remember Reich was under Doug Peterson, the Eagles Super Bowl year. Wide receiver Christian Kirk, guard Brandon Sheriff, linebacker Forsadi Olukun, cornerback Darius Williams, defensive tackle Foley Fatukasi, Wide receiver Zay Jones, tight end Evan Ingram, and defensive end Arden Key. So they lost a ton, but they gained a ton. Key draft picks, edge rusher Trayvon Walker. A lot of people thought that that was an interesting pick, but he played for Georgia. Drafting anyone from Georgia on the defense is probably not a bad idea. Linebacker Devin Lloyd, who might have been the best linebacker in the draft. Center Luke Fortner and just a bunch of dudes. All I have to say for Urban Meyer is 
lasted about half the season. If you remember me from last year, I said it was a terrible hire. I took Jacksonville under six and a half wins immediately last year, one of our larger plays that hit easily. But now the guy's free up to hit some college kegger parties and grind with as many chicks as he pleases. Man, this dude, I tell (laughs) you, I have no idea what the hell he was doing thinking he could coach an NFL team. But now Super Bowl champion Doug Peterson, who probably has a little bit better morals than uh, Urban Meyer, is taking the team over, and it is certainly an upgrade. I still think he was a little bit overrated, though, from the Eagles. I do think it was mostly Frank Reich that brought that team up. But it's definitely a, a step up above Urban Meyer, and their offense coordinator, Press Taylor, learned from Frank Reich. So that's a good thing. Sometimes a coach isn't good with the X's and O's, but he's just good at putting a team together. Kind of like the Ed Orgeron type guy, right? That we saw for so many years. Maybe the Giants old coach was a Callahan. Anyways, this is going to be a fun team, I think. And their number one draft pick, the first, like, everyone said can't miss quarterback, Trevor Lawrence should have an easier time this year. Here's the thing. We saw flashes last year of this team. You can't ignore what they did against the Bills when they beat the Bills. You can't ignore how they finished the year last year, taking taking the Colts out of the playoffs. You saw flashes of that talent. So they were a bit injured coming in, and they had some bad fumble luck as well. You saw, remember, Travis Etienne got hurt during the preseason. But I think this team's going to be improved. I think they could shock some people. Now, am I betting the over? Not right now. My number is 6.6 wins this year, which is a huge step up from three. But uh, I have a strong lean to the over just because of uh, the way their schedule's lining up for them and the fact that they have a better coach. I think uh, this team's going to be very motivated. My power rating on the Jaguars is minus six. Six points worse than the average team, which certainly isn't the worst um, out of that, out of all the teams. As a matter of fact, just to let you know where they stand. One, two, three, four, five, six. I have six teams worse than them. So there you go with the Jaguars. And finally, you have the Houston Texans. Their Vegas win total 4.5, juice to the under minus 120. 2021 wins is four wins. Won four games last year. Their Pythag was 4.01. Their Pythag was lower than the Jaguars last year. Their schedule is hard. At large, at Chicago, at Miami, versus Cleveland. They have a hard schedule this year. Okay? So keep, keep that in mind. Their key losses. Coach David Culley. Safety Justin Reed. Outside linebacker Jake Martin, quarterback Tyrod Taylor keeps bouncing around. This guy's going to probably play more teams than Fitzmagic by the end of his career. Safety, A.J. Moore, right tackle Marcus Cannon, and and running back David Johnson are not signed. I doubt David Johnson gets another job personally. Key additions, cornerback Steve Nelson, guard A.J. Can, defensive end Mario Addison, outside linebacker Jalen Reeves-Mabin, defensive end Rasheen, Green, Rasheem Green, 
uh, quarterback Kyle Allen and a bunch of bums. Uh, key draft picks. Cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. That was a big surprising pick. Now, he had that amazing freshman season when LSU won it all. But I, I, just, I didn't think it was their defense that won it all. So I, I just... He he didn't he kind of was injured the next couple years. I, I I'm just not seeing it with Stingley. Guard Kenyon Green, safety Jalen Petre, wide receiver John Mechie. It's interesting uh, from Alabama there, and another Bama guy, and linebacker Christian Harris, and some other dudes. So my summary here, it's just, it's so funny. This Kyle Allen, they pick up Kyle Allen as a quarterback. Kyle Allen's never going to get a real break in the NFL because he's just going to go from crap team to crap team to crap team. He hasn't played for a good team yet. But one thing I'm never going to forget, last year under David Culley, that the Texans were facing a third and 15. They ran a play, picked up 13 yards, setting up fourth and two. The Browns were called for offsides, and the Texans had to choose between fourth and two or third and 10, they chose fourth and two and punted the ball away. Seriously. They punted the ball away instead of taking third and 10. Hello? You play to win the game. My head hurt after that. It seriously did. It was just a massive brain fart from Gully. Now, the big problem this year is that they hired another terrible coach in Lovey Smith, whom I thought couldn't get another Power 5 job in college, much less in the NFL. Unreal. I mean, as a Bears fan, some of us realized right away during that 2005-2006 year that it really wasn't Lovey responsible for them. You know, maybe he was like the Ed Orgeron type guy that can rally a team like Doug, like I said, with Doug Peterson, but he sure didn't do it in, at Illinois and his defenses were terrible. And now he gets promoted to head coach. There's gotta be something to that. I mean, we noticed that in the draft, they didn't take a shot at a quarterback and that's probably a really good idea because look at the quarterback class next year. C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, you know, Devin Leary. There's some really good quarterbacks coming out next year. But maybe that's why they hired Lovey in the first place. That's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> they hired Lovey to not win. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on Lovey, but he hasn't done anything since 2005, 2006. And if you remember, the Bears had a terrible offense back then, and it was Erlacher who pretty much led the defense. Erlacher and Mike Brown. But anyways, this team would be doing themselves a favor if they didn't win, and my number's very low. They have a hard schedule. My number's 3.13 wins. Here's the problem with going under 4.5. 3.13 wins, they might get to four wins. But look at their last game of the season. Their last game of the season is against the Colts at the Colts. What happened with the Bengals versus Browns last year? The same thing that could happen with the Colts. The Colts are favored to win the division. They might have it locked up before this game and bench all of their players, giving the Houston Texans a free fifth win.
it's something that I noticed and it's something you need to look for when you're going under these totals. They can just stumble to five wins because of that. And because of that, I have no play under five, under four and a half wins at 3.13, even though my number is so low. My power rating on the Texans is that they are the worst team in football, minus 8.5 points worse than the average team. So there you have it. That is our NFC North and our NFC South breakdowns. We are betting the Ravens to win the NFC North at plus 200. You can take them over 9.5 for your win total if you want. Just have some strong leans for you for the AFC South. But as of right now, there's still question marks. And I'm excited to see what these guys do for the rest of the offseason coming into preseason. See if anything changes. Obviously, power ratings are always something that you change whenever big news comes out. All right, next week we will finish our previews of the AFC East and the AFC West. And as of right now, we're going to get into a little UFC Vegas 57. All right, main event, Armand Sarukin versus Mateus Gamrot. And this is actually going to be a good fight, even though... Sarukin is around a minus 260, minus 280 favorite. Uh, Gamrot's done very well so far in his career. Now let's start with Gamrot here. The dude is 14, or sorry, 20 and 1. 20 wins, one loss. Okay. He had a his only loss was to Gurum Kukatalatse back in October of 2020. So close to two years ago, then he beat the hell out of Scott Holzman, beat the crap out of Jeremy Stevens, and then beat Diego Ferreira. And it wasn't close. I mean, he beat all those guys under three rounds. And now he is a massive dog. <laughs> you know, It's weird to see him as a massive dog. And especially against a guy who's 18 and two, but let's just look at Armand Sarukin here. Sarukin can do it all. Seven KOs, five submissions, six decisions. His first UFC debut was against Islam Makachev, who is the best fighter in this whole 155 weight class. Sorry, Charles. I mean, he is. Right? Because he would be minus 200 at least against Charles Oliveira. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that the best fighter in 155 is not the champion yet in Islam. And they're probably setting him up for one more fight before he gets to uh, face Charles or whoever the title, whoever has the title at the time. Remember, Charles didn't make weight his last fight. But going back to Sarukin, um, he has had a bit of a harder strength of schedule uh, than Gamrat against Joel Alvarez, Matt Frivola, Davi Ramos, uh, Christos Giagos, who's actually fighting soon. And it's mostly because of that Islam fight. But I'll tell you, when he fought Islam, Islam barely beat him. I mean, and this was his debut. 
Armand can do it all. Gamrot is a little bit more of a stand-up fighter. Now, he has had some submissions. He submitted Jeremy Stevens, and if you remember, Stevens isn't all that good. Then he has a submission back in 2018, but he's mostly a striker. So basically, from a striking perspective, Armand at 3.75 significant strikes to Mateus's 3.79, but that's because Armand spends most of his time on the ground. The accuracy of Armand's striking is at 61.5%, and the accuracy of Gamrot's is at 50%. Now, Gamrot has more takedowns, but it's also because he has fought a lesser strength of schedule, as I said earlier. Okay. Now, I will say that maybe Gamrot should be a little bit less of a dog in this situation. I think Sarukin probably should be like a minus 220, minus 240 instead of minus 280. But still, I'm convinced with Sarukin here that he's probably, if not the second best, maybe the third, maybe the fourth, probably the third best fighter in 155. And that includes guys like Conor McGregor, Poirier, right? He's better than Justin Gaethje. He's better than Michael Chandler. He might be better than Benil Dariush, and I'm really high on Benil Dariush, DP. I mean, I think he's probably the third or fourth best, and I think Dariush is right there as well, personally. But this fight's really going to set the tone for one of these fighters because Gamrot is ranked in the top 12 himself, according to UFC rankings, and quickly moving up. One thing I worry a little bit about Sarukin is that he was knocked out. It was a long time ago, back in 2015 when he was just starting out. But that was when he was 18 years old. He is now 25 years old with his 18-2 and two record. Gamrot is 31 years old at 20-1. and one. No difference in my opinion. I think that maybe even you give the age to Gamrot because I believe when it comes to fighting, your prime is around the 28 to 33-year-old range, which Gamrot is. But Sarukin is just able to do it all, in my opinion, and I think he's going to win. Now, do I want to lay minus 280? Probably not. But I also think that Armand makes a great parlay leg with another fighter that you think is going to win, right? With another fighter maybe in the round, the plus or sorry, the minus 150 to minus 300 range. Obviously, if there's a plus fighter that you like, you can always do that. If you think it's mispriced, anything mispriced belongs in a parlay. One thing I'll say about this card in general, I like a lot of favorites. I like a, a lot of the, you know, minus 240. Um, what's this one? Minus 165, minus 140, there's a lot of favorites in this card that I think should be bigger favorites that I think are very good parlay legs. You might even get uh, some round robins out of me if you are a premium customer from uh, my plays over at theoddsbreakers.com. Usually I like to play my parlays after weigh-in because you're adding variance to your bet by picking two different outcomes. You want to see the weigh-ins in some cases. If you remember... 
Kelly weighed in overweight last week. And if I knew that, I wouldn't have taken the over, which I got burned on. Now, that was just a one single play. But when it comes to a parlay, I think it's more important to check the weigh-ins in this situation. So, moving on. The next fight is between Shavkat Rachmanov versus Neil Manji. And Shavkat is a massive favorite, minus 400. Shavkat has a ton of hype on him. You know, he really does. But I think the hype is pretty well deserved because if you look at Shavkat's fights, I don't remember him going to decision once. He is 15-0, and 0, all right? Comes into the UFC in 2020 in October, beats Alex Oliveira in a submission, uh, beats Michelle Prezeris in a submission, and then he KOs Carlston Harris. Now, he hasn't had the greatest strength of schedule, but the way he's finishing opponents is absolutely absurd. Neil Mangi is 26-8. and eight. Pretty dang good record himself, but he has some losses against, like, Michael Chisa in a decision. Um, he likes to go decision, by the way, so I think this is a very interesting fight. Robbie Lawler, Anthony Rocco Martin he beat, Jingliang Lee he beat, um, all decisions. You know, he's that kind of fighter, has very good stand-up. He lands 3.67 significant strikes per minute. He's also pretty good on the mat. 2.37 takedowns. Kind of a good all-around fighter. I just don't think he has the power that Shavkat has. I think the fact that he goes to decisions so much tells you that. He's going to stay away from Shavkat. Maybe he frustrates straight Shavkat. That's the reason why I'm probably not going to be using um, Shavkat in a parlay. Minus 400 in a parlay? Hmm. You know, he, it would suck to have a minus 400 bust your ticket because he lost because it doesn't add a ton of value into your parlay. If And I think I'm going to give a little bit more respect to Magni. I do have another play in this fight that I'm just releasing to premium subscribers. The next flight or fight that I should talk about is Tiago Moises versus Christos Giagos. And I just mentioned Giagos's name after he lost a Sarukin, but Tiago is minus 240. Christos is plus 200. You look at this fight. Chris, Christos is uh, 32 years old, 19 for nine. Definitely has taken some poundings. His last loss was being KO'd against Armand Sarukin back in September of 2021. Should be enough time to shake off the cobwebs nine months later here. Beat Sean Soriano, Soriano sorry, in a uh, submission. Lost to Drakkar close, and uh, that was back in 2019 in a unanimous decision. He lost to Charles in a rear naked choke, and, you know, Back in 2018, he's got some decent wins, but nothing over the top. I would call Christos Giagos a lower uh, tier two level. Here's the issue with Moises. That's 15 and six, right? The poor dude has had just a brutal strength of schedule. Okay. Brutal. He lost to Joel Alvarez, and that was 
he shouldn't. He should have put up more of a fight on this one. He lost to Islam Makachev in the fourth by submission. I saw that fight, and I thought to myself that man, this kid put up a fight against Islam. Getting to the fourth round, Islam was trying his ass off. He put up a fight, just couldn't get him. He beat Alexander Hernandez, Bobby Green. Bobby Green's pretty decent, you know. Um, Michael Johnson. And then he lost to Demir Ismagulov. We just bet on Demir last week and won that decision. And Demir is a badass. I have no problem with him losing to Demir. And God, man, Demir's really climbing up the ladder too. Jesus. It's 155 is always brutal. He beat some Kirk guy that I really don't know. Lost to Benil Dariush in a decision. Benil is a badass. He's just had a very hard strength of schedule since he's gotten the UFC. My friend Chris actually sent me uh, this strength of schedule, so I'm going to give him some props for that. And This is before I look, but seriously, if you look, check out SureDog.com. Now, Giacos is pretty good at 19-9. and nine. I just think that he's not quite at the level of Moises. Now, I think Moises is probably going to be a another parlay leg for me, you know, because sitting around the minus two forty, I think he wins this fight. I just can't see Christos winning this, and uh, I haven't I haven't made a complete decision. I'm going to look a little bit more into Tr- Christos Diago. So I'm going to watch a couple of his fights just to kind of see where he went right and where he went wrong. So I'm leaning Tiago Moises. Uh, in this situation. The next fight I want to talk quickly about is Umar Nurmagomedov versus Nathan Maness. And I'm pretty sure Umar is cousins with Habib. He fights with him. He trains with him, Eagles MMA. And that's why he's like minus 1,000 to beat Nathan Maness. And man, I got to tell you, it sucks. I, I was I, I was saying next time I, I got to, I got to fight. I got to play Umar. I got to play him. You know, that's what I was thinking. But Jesus at minus 1000 coming into this situation. I mean, that's massive. I mean, what is Umar's inside the distance number? His uh, by TKO is plus 500. So they don't expect that. His by submission is even money. I mean, maybe you get a little bit of value there. And his inside the distance in itself is, man, it's all over the board. Minus 135, minus 170, minus 150. So, it, I mean, everything's telling you Umar Nurmagomedov is going to win, especially when his odds are minus 900, minus 1,000 in some of these books. Here's a minus 1,200. Now, here's my problem with Umar. He hasn't had that great of a strength schedule either. You know? I mean, Umar beat Brian Kelleher by submission. Big deal. Sergey Morozov, that was his best win. Right? Sergey Morozov was his best win. And we're going to talk about Sergey. He actually got him in a rear naked choke. Brian Gonzalez. This dude named Sidemar Onario. I don't even know this guy. Okay, this is this is not that we're getting out of the UFC. He has three UFC fights and he's done very well. But he's went to decision a lot um in 2019 
and in 2018, a lot of his fights went to decision. Yeah, I don't think this. I don't think he's faced a lot of people. All right, the way they play this fight might be Nathan Manasse at plus six fifty. I mean, at least with Nathan, he's beaten Tony Gravely, knocked him out. You know, Johnny Munoz. I'm pretty sure he knocked him out. No, that was a decision. He submitted Luke Sanders. And he has one loss back in uh, 2019 in a different federation. Uh, he actually got KO'd. But man, Nathan Maness, 14-1, three UFC fights. His fight's not worse than Umar's. Coming in at plus 650, maybe Umar gets popped here. I mean... I, I, if I was going to f- play this, I would probably get creative with Umar and I would just play Nathan straight up at plus 650. And you know when it gets to the cards, if this gets to the cards, pretty much anything can happen. And lately, they've been favoring the striker. I think this price is off. You know, Umar should be like minus 500 in this situation, minus 400 maybe, right? So I'm, I'm just letting you know which way I'm leaning in this fight. Uh, ooh, uh, what's the next one? Rodolfo Vieira versus Chris Curtis. I go back and forth on this. You know, about a week and a half ago, I was thinking, man, Rivera, uh, or I'm on Rodolfo Vieira. And then, you know, I realized, wow, Curtis has had a massive run lately, He've knocked out some serious guys, beat Hawes, you know. Um, Vieira does not have a lot of gas in the tank. He, he tends to gas out as the fight goes on a little bit. I think that showed when uh, he got submitted against Anthony Hernandez in the round two. You know, most of uh, Rodolfo's fights are probably done in the first round. The problem with Curtis is that he has a lot of third round finishes himself. Uh, three of his last fights went to the six fights went to the third round, and uh, one of them went to the distance. So he did knock out Phil Hawes, and he knocked out Brandon Allen. And I like Brendan Allen a lot. So this is an interesting one. I would think I'm, I'm going to lean under the one and a half rounds for this one. And what's the price on this? It's probably known that, yeah, minus 165. So it seems like the market really likes a, a quicker finish here in itself. Just being at minus 165 makes me not like it. And it almost makes me lean over one and a half rounds. I mean, Rodolfo should know that he uh, needs to get some gas here for this uh, fight, and hopefully he trains correctly for it. But he is very great on the mat. You know, he's going to try to grapple Curtis, and we'll see what Curtis can do. And I, the fact that I've talked myself back and forth pretty much tells me this line is right. Sometimes you just do not play um, when the line is correct. And uh, we're going to pass on this one for sure. You want to get super cute and do the round one stuff. Good luck to you. Next fight and the final one I'm going to talk about: Sergey Morozov versus Rallyan Pava and Paeva. Pava, I've heard both. I am all over Sergey Morozov here at minus one forty. Um, this is a hundred thirty-five pound Bam Tan weight fight. Uh, Sergey is seventeen and five. He lost his last two or three fights, but one was, like I said, Umar Namagomedov and Douglas Silva de Andrade was his other one where he got, he was winning that fight and he got rear naked choked. It was just a weird situation. Raleigh and Paeva is 
an absolute farce, in my opinion. He got knocked out by Sean O'Malley. Bad. I'm not a big Sean O'Malley guy. I think he kind of uh, fights bums, in my opinion. Um, he's actually coming up, I think, next week, too, so I can't wait to get into that. But what I'm going to say about Paeva's Kyler Phillips win, that was horseshit. Uh, Kyler Phillips won that fight. Paeva was all over the place, and Kyler just could not get a hold of him and kept getting frustrated. But you can tell Kyler was a much better fighter than Paeva, but the judges gave it to Paeva. And that is why you're getting such a wonderful price at minus 140 on Sergey Morozov. Sergey Morozov, obviously, though better on the mat. He's from Kazakhstan. Um, eight KOs, three submissions, six decisions. Rallyan. Four KOs, three submissions, 14 decision wins, one decision loss. I mean, what gives in this situation, right? So looking at just uh, the straight stats here, and this is on the undercard, by the way. Um, 4.13 significant strikes for Rallyan because he stays on his feet pretty well. But 2.78 for Sergey, and his takedown average is 3.28. Sergey's going to wrestle Rallyan, and he's going to win that way. Okay, because I don't think Rallyan has got that good a defense. The only way Morozov actually loses is by submission. Well, his three out of his five losses were submission, right? And Rallyan hasn't submitted anybody since 2017. And out of his 21 wins, only three of them are submissions. So he's more of a he's going to be more of a technical stand up fire, probably trying to keep his distance. Sergey's going to get a hold of him, um, probably get some points holding him against the. Uh, against the cage, lots of takedowns. I just expect some ground and pounds from Sergey, and I think this is going to be an easy victory for him. So I'm going to lay two stars on Sergey Morozov at minus 140. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode where I went solo discussing the NFL and a little bit USC for the weekend. We're going to have some guests next week for our show. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the hockey series. It's been fun with the Avalanche up 2-1 to one right now. It's going to be a great game tonight. Enjoy all the games this weekend. Enjoy the fights. And go get some winners.